Hey guys, this is Maddie. As you heard from last week, Brooke had her mom on the podcast, and we had this idea that we're going to have each other's mom on the podcast, so my mom is here with me today. Um, We're mostly just going to be talking about her experiences with mental health and how she's helped me through mine. And yeah, let's just get started. Hi, this is my first podcast, so I'm sure it'll be obvious. Okay, to get started, I just want to talk about your mental health history and if you have struggled with, you know, any mental health disorders. Um, Well, unfortunately, yes, I have. And mine started at a younger age. Um, I was about 12 when I was going to a private boarding school and the nuns thought I was depressed. And so they suggested my parents take me to a therapist and they did a bunch of testing and came back with, yes, I had depression. Um, And back then we didn't really know what that meant. And, you know, there weren't really medications at that time. So we just, I just went to talk therapy and then After I graduated high school, I kind of continued on with the therapy for a while, and then I ended up getting on some medications, um, some of those early antidepressants that were out in the community. Um, And I think that helped. I mean, I think that also just my experience is that maturity helps with your mental illness and and your confidence builders in life. Um, My jobs and my career really helped me kind of build confidence and have more confidence in myself so that I didn't have to be in my own head so much. Did you just struggle with depression or anxiety too? At that time, I just struggled with depression. Um, I didn't really have anxiety until later in life. And how, how does, how did, have you ever had a panic attack? Yeah. Yeah. I how have, do they manifest in you? Oh, panic attacks for me um, are different than what I've seen in you. Mine is a really tight chest and difficulty breathing, shortness of breath. I used to get anxiety in um, new grocery stores. It was really strange. Like if I didn't know where to find something, I would just have anxiety. And there's been times when I've actually had to leave the store um, because it was just like this, this is overwhelming. Yeah. It was just too much. It was uncomfortable. And so I just left the store and went to a store I was more familiar with. Yeah. It's interesting how panic attacks and anxiety can manifest differently in different people. Like for a lot of us people with emetophobia, we get nauseous and feel like we're going to throw up, but you don't really get like nauseous. No. You just my, feel like you can't breathe. Yeah. My chest tightens up and my skin gets kind of tingly, like it's being poked with needles. Yeah. Like when you're like when your arm's asleep mm-hmm. and then it's come back and it gets tingly. Yeah. yeah. That happens to me too. Do you get like shaky and... No, I don't really get shaky. I just, it's this inside feeling that's uncomfortable and makes, it kind of gives you that fight or flight situation. I did get anxiety more after I had children because it was less about me and more about my capability of caring for my two kids. Interesting. Um, Next question. This kind of goes a little bit into... Well, I think it mostly starts with, you know, my brother's experience, but I want to know how, you know, you struggled with some mental health issues, but I, I want to know how, when did you learn how to help other people or when did mental health really become more of a like real thing for you? Yeah, I would say it's not so much again about myself. It was more about your brother um, and he was eight when his challenges really 
presented themselves. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know to this day if I know how to help people with mental illness. But what I did know was that I was never going to give up trying. And so I did a lot of research and I talked to people and I went to different therapists with him and different psychiatrists with him. Um, and I did a lot of reading, but giving up was never an option for me. So whether or not that helped or didn't help, I'll never know, but that was just the way I was going to go about it. And the same with you, like giving up is just not an option. Yeah. Um, so let, let's get into me. Okay. And Your my, favorite subject. My, <laughs> my anxiety, my, you know, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. When did you first notice, well, I haven't really struggled that much with depression, but when did you first notice that, you know, I had anxiety? You've really presented with anxiety pretty young in life, I think. You know, even as an infant, I noticed that you were different in that you you wouldn't like want to be alone. You never wanted to be alone. And you didn't like it when I put you in your crib to go to sleep and you screamed and screamed until you threw up and then you keep screaming some more. And I'd clean you up and put you back in the bed and you'd do it all over again. Um, so that kind of presented pretty early. And then obviously, you know, you've had some medical challenges where you had to be in a full body cast for several months out of your young life. And I think that that, you know, you stopped speaking. You, you, the only thing you could control was the voice that you had because you couldn't control your mobility. Mm -hmm. Um, so you used that control and stopped speaking and you bounced back pretty good when the casts came off. But I knew somewhere down the line there was going to be some sort of problem from that. And it it also presented in your elementary school days as, well, even your preschool days as separation anxiety. Anytime I'd leave, even you with a babysitter, you'd scream and scream and throw up. We'd walk into the daycare with you and you would start shaking and just throw up. And they you actually got kicked out of preschool at age three because they said you weren't ready maybe come back next year. And eventually you did, you, you got through it. But yeah, the first kindergarten, first and second grade were really rough, dragging you to school, kicking and screaming, sometimes in your pajamas and the principal would have to hold you in the classroom so I could leave. And she said, sometimes it took a couple of hours to calm you down and get you participating. Um, so yeah, you've kind of always had this underlying anxiety. And I don't know if it's just either genetic or if it's a combination of circumstance. I think it's probably a combination of both. Yeah, because your grandmother and your great-grandmother both had, well, your grandma has anxiety and your great-grandmother definitely had anxiety in her later years as well. Yeah. So from my experience, I've always been scared of throwing up and every time someone would throw up around me or I would throw up, I would go into full panic. And I guess we talked a little bit last night and I guess you didn't know that, but I feel like you did because there were times where I would, I don't know, maybe, maybe I just didn't know how to express that I was anxious and like tell you that I was anxious when I was feeling that way, because for you, it was always, you're anxious. So then you throw up. But there was a time in my life where it switched and it was like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. So I'm anxious. And I didn't throw up from being from having anxiety anymore. It was more the opposite. 
I got anxious from being nauseous. I don't really know when I, when I, I mean, I think I know when I realized that you had a bigger problem than I ever knew about because I never saw it in the younger years and the elementary school years and all of that. But it, but when your brother got sick in Mexico that time and you couldn't even move and I could see and hear in your voice that you were just stuck. You were just a sheer panic. Yeah. You were stuck. And you know, I, at the time I had to help him. So you were stuck in your bed, but it, I was just surprised that you couldn't even move. Yeah. And that's the first time it hit me that this was a, a bigger thing than just people being uncomfortable about throwing up because everybody, nobody likes to throw up. I think that was my first experience where I really realized it too. And I don't know, was I still in elementary school when that happened? I think you were in middle school. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I feel like anxiety and throwing up have always gone hand in hand to me, but that experience where my brother threw up in Mexico was definitely, I think that was the most panicked about throwing up I had ever been in my life. Yeah. But then the next day I just got up and everything was fine. Yeah. So I, and so for a while after that, you know, if someone around me or I would throw up, it would be this whole big, scary thing. But then once it was over, yeah, I would just go back to my normal life. It didn't affect how I lived my life or how I ate or anything like that until like we've talked about, it was January of 2019, I think. And that's kind of when it all started. I feel like that's when I was doing research and was like, oh, I, I'm scared of throwing up. And that's when I stopped going to school, stopped eating, all of that. And I didn't go to school for like the whole... It was before 2019. No, it wasn't. Because Nick and I started dating October of 2018. It was like the January after that. Oh, okay. So... I didn't notice that you weren't eating. I, I had, I didn't really know that until you ended up in the hospital. So I don't know if you were hiding it. You, you thought it was a GI thing. Right. You thought, and that's why I went to different GI doctors. And, you know, I thought maybe it was too, but because I was nauseous every single day, all day long, Mm -hmm. but in turn, that was making me anxious. Yeah. And so I stopped eating because I was so nauseous. Yeah. And it it ended up not being a GI thing, you know, it was, it was my anxiety and, So I think in the beginning, both my parents and kind of everyone around me, including me, kind of thought like there's actually something going on in my stomach. Yeah, but But, once we ruled that out, then there was nothing left, but it had to be something with your mental health. Yeah. So then, you know, and was it? It was the summer, that summer after. Yeah, summer of 2019. Well, I went in for a colonoscopy because we thought there was something wrong with my stomach. Mm Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got out of the colonoscopy, I think, tell, tell it from your perspective. When yeah. they told you that I, they were keeping me. Yeah. Well, she got out of the hospital from the colonoscopy. Well, what happened was I brought you to the hospital because you were really weak. No. We, I brought you to the ER. And that's oh, when... Oh, shit. That was the first time. Yeah. And then we left. Yeah. And your blood sugar was so low. So they gave you juice and all of that and hydrated you and gave you an IV And then you lost a bunch of weight, like in a really short amount of time. And Mm -hmm. so you got admitted into the hospital and well, no. So the, the time I got admitted, you know, I was trying to keep track of my 
eating and drinking juices and, you know, all that stuff. But slowly I just kind of stopped eating and stopped eating. So I had planned to go in for a colonoscopy to see what was going on internally. And I was kind of freaking out, having anxiety attack about it. So my dad called the doctor and was like, hey, can can she come in and just get admitted and do the do the colonoscopy prep at the hospital and then do the colonoscopy and then we'll leave like after that. So we went in originally to do the colonoscopy. So we did that. But when did they tell you like, we need to keep her here? So we went in and did the prep the day before. And then the next morning you had the, it was an endoscopy and a colonoscopy at Mm -hmm. the same time. Um, And then that all looked really clear and good and there was nothing wrong, but you're, but, but they were checking all your blood levels and your heart and you were starting to have some cardiac issues mm-hmm. and your blood levels were off. And so they admitted you um, to kind of regulate that and do some more testing. And after about two days on the regular floor, um, they moved you over to the adolescent health area. What, what did they say to you and dad when like they were making that decision? They We sat down and talked to the doctor and he tried to explain that it was um, an anxiety disorder and it was a part of a eating disorder. And in adolescent health management, they see this all the time and it's best that we get you in their program and stabilize and put some weight on you and then get you connected with some services, psychological services and maybe medications and kind of monitor you that way. And that's when you ended up moving over and you were so week and so mm-hmm. you hadn't eaten in so long that you threw this huge fit you pulled the IV out of your arm you were throwing things around the room the, and I don't even remember any of this yeah the nurse made me leave and he was really able to calm you down and get you back in bed um, and so once your nutrition was up once they gave you fluids and IVs and could, vitamins and, that I and take. yeah vitamins and all of that then you could calm down and I could be with you again. And then we stayed up there for a couple of weeks to stabilize Two you. weeks, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, before, I also want to say, I have been going through therapy my whole life, off and on. I hated it as a child and I didn't <laughs> participate and I hid under chairs. No, she was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, well, I never really allowed it to help. So I think once my emetophobia really like manifested itself I kind of tried more to let it to let therapy help me and I went through I've been through quite a few therapists just the past few years with my emetophobia and one thing that was hard from my perspective was that you didn't well first you didn't try with with therapy you didn't try the you know the different techniques that they were teaching you and trying to get you to focus on But the other thing is you were really resistant initially because you wanted somebody who specifically focused on emetophobia. And what I was trying to explain to you for years and years, and everybody was, that it's an anxiety and it doesn't matter how it manifests. Anxiety is anxiety and it's treated the same way. Well, I think I think I agree, but I think it's more of like a phobia because phobias are kind of different than anxiety. Yeah. So but every phobia like there's there's a way to cure or help phobias Mm -hmm. but it's all the same depending on like no matter what phobia it is right 
Yeah, the the methods. Which is like just exposure. But yeah, so after the hospital, I went into therapy and, you know, I was kind of doing better for a little bit and then kind of not and was not really doing great for a long time. And it's really hard from a parent's perspective. I mean, there's been times where I wanted to hold you down and shove food in your face, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but the realistic part of me knows that that wouldn't have been helpful. In fact, that kind of approach probably would have set you back. But you really are helpless as a parent to watch your child go through what they're going through and not be able to fix it. And I don't think that's just about phobias. I think that's really anything in life. But it it's really hard as a parent to watch your child physically struggle and and not be able to help them with their health, whether it's mental health or physical health. And I was concerned for your physicality. I was concerned for your heart. I was concerned for your organs. And I was concerned about your capability of, you know, being able to move on in a healthy way with your life and grow into a healthy adult. But sometimes I just had to step out of your way and let you do it. You know, so there was like two years where it was like, sometimes I was doing better. Sometimes I was doing worse most of the time doing worse or just at like a plateau really. And, you know, like I've talked about on here before, I finally started my anxiety medication again. I think that has really helped a lot. I'm still scared of throwing up and I still get anxious and have panic attacks sometimes, but not nearly as much. And I'm not constantly, you know, nauseous anymore. You know, I've started working full time and I went to school and so I'm able to live my life pretty normally now. I think the biggest thing I'm still working on and struggling with is just, you know, I'm gaining weight, but I'm eating the same foods all the time. And so I'm I'm this, I feel like the last thing that I'm struggling with is just the food. Yeah. I think I, you know, I, I get concerned because you don't have a well-rounded diet. You don't have a lot of proteins and you don't have a lot of nutrition, nutrients or vitamins in your diet. um, And you won't take supplements. So I think that those are the kinds of things that concern me, but you know, it's, it's gotta be at your time and your pace. I just wish you would be a little more trying to introduce new safe foods for you. Well, I guess that kind of goes into the next question is what, what do you think you've done to help me or what have you done to help me from your perspective? I think that the first thing that, that I did was try to rule out any physiological reason um, because you wouldn't believe us if we said it was anxiety or phobia. You mm-hmm. you were sure it had to be something wrong with your body. And even to this, you've always been like that. You've always gone to the worst place. Like a hypochondriac. <laughs> you have a stomach ache, all of a sudden you have stomach cancer. Mm-hmm. I am a 50 plus year old woman and I have a spot on my arm and you think that's cancer. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how your brain goes. But that's just like your grandma, too. So don't worry about that. (laughs) Um, But I think that just ruling out any physiological reason for what was happening helped you be able to open your mind that it could be something not as um, easy to fix. Um, You wanted an easy fix. You wanted something you could do or take or a surgery that could fix you. And that's not the case with mental illness. There is no no quick fix for that. Um, You've got to go through the work yourself. Um, so I think that that helped. I also think me backing off a lot helped um, because we lived together and I was way too much in your business and you 
rebelled against that. And so I think you moving in with your dad and brother helped mend our relationship and also helped me step out enough that you could kind of have to deal with things on your own. You had to feel the experiences and the successes, but also the struggles. And I couldn't, I wouldn't fix it for you all the time because you really did rely heavily on me fixing everything for you. And I did it. Yeah. So So this is something that you couldn't. Right. And I had to get out of your way. How do you feel when I text you and I'm like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I'm, I'm really going to throw up. I'm so anxious right now. Like, what do you. Well, I've kind of gotten more used to it, but. (laughs) It still, it gives me anxiety because I can't do anything about it. And I know you're going to go on and on and on and you're not going to do what I say. And you're asking me for help, but I, anything I do or say, you're not going to do. So yeah. it's this, this well, and endless I, cycle. And it's also like, I'm, I'm asking you kind of to take it away. Right. You're still trying to drag me in and to fix it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's gotten better over time. There's still some panic attacks, but for the most part, I think you've realized that in this moment, you're not going to die. Nothing's going to happen in this moment. So I think it's been a little easier for you. I think there's still times where you struggle, but I think you've gotten better. And I've gotten less, I've tried to have less anxiety around those kinds of calls and texts and just let you talk it out, let you work through it. Because anything I say is going to be useless. I just, you just have to sorry for the pun, but vomited out of yourself with words so that it goes away. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just need somebody that you can talk to when you're anxious and have someone listen to you and be like, I, you know, I mean, there's nothing really that they can do. This reminds me of a story that your grandma told me when you were little. What? You, you, she was trying to put you to bed and you would just talk her ear off and talk her ear off. And so she decided that she was going to outwit you and she was just going to talk and talk and talk until you fell asleep. And that's what she used to do. She just <laughs> spewed words until you finally worn out. <laughs> yeah. I feel like also it's for us as people with the metaphobia, we have as much as we want other people to understand us and help us in the ways we need it. We also have to be understanding of the fact that they don't know what we're going through because they aren't experiencing that and haven't experienced that. So I think it goes both ways. Like I need to be mindful that you don't understand and kind of be lenient with you on that. But then you also need to be understanding of me of or try to be understanding that I need. No, it makes sense. I think what you're trying to say is we both need to be be easy on each other. Yeah. And recognize that we're we don't understand each other and that's okay. Like, I don't understand how you can just throw up and be fine. And you don't understand why I have panic attacks about throwing up. But, you know, you're not going to do everything right. Right. And I'm probably annoying sometimes when I'm panicking. And, you know. I think that the the biggest thing that comes out of this for me is that it seems, it seems so silly to me. And I, I'm not minimizing your phobia. Mm-hmm. But really, not once have you thrown up from any of this through the years. You've had this phobia for three or so years now or more. And not once have you thrown up. And that doesn't, I guess I don't get why that doesn't come to the forefront of your brain when you're having these kinds of episodes. Oh yeah, I felt like this before and nothing happened. I think it's the fact that like, I know that I will throw up again in my lifetime, but I don't know when that's going to be. So when I'm nauseous, I'm like, is this the time? 
is this the time that I have a stomach bug? Is this the time that I have food poisoning? Or is, you know. That makes a lot of anxiety in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't really go into this like I wanted to, but this kind of goes into our next question, which is, what are you still trying to work on in order to help me? But I wanted you to talk about what you do, where you work. Oh, like what do I do? You tell me what I'm doing. <laughs> um, I work at Dornbecker Children's Hospital. I am the clinical operations supervisor of our general pediatric and adolescent health medicine. And I work with the particular doctor that helped Maddie up in the hospital. And the Wait, t- actually? Yeah, Dr. Sells and his team. Um, so I'm the supervisor for their practice as well. And so... The old guy? Yeah, <laughs> the old guy. <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Sells, if you hear this. Um, anyway, and so it's been really interesting to see it from a, a professional standpoint. There are clinical standpoint. Yeah, there are a lot of people with these phobias, a lot of young people with these phobias, so much so that they created their own specialty in medicine, in pediatric medicine. We treat patients anywhere from age 10 up to like 23, 24, 25. Um, and kind of get them through their adolescence with a myriad of, of difficulties and struggles and successes. Um, but it's been really interesting. It's opened my eyes a lot. And I've learned to just accept people better where they're at, at their level. And I think that that's helped me with you as well. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that they do like mental health screenings and stuff. Oh, yeah. At every age, even starting with the littles, we do lots of different developmental and um, behavioral screenings when they're little to identify potential issues as they age. Um, And then definitely at age 11 and up, we do mental health screenings for all children at their well visits. And and what do you do if if a child does the screening and it looks like they may have anxiety or depression or... Yeah, we have a behavioral health department that we connect them with. Um, They come into our clinics and into our exam rooms and and meet with the families and then set up appointments on their own. We also have psychology that comes in. Um, So we really, and we have uh, social workers that we connect with the family. So we do a lot of outreach. We do a lot of connecting um, these folks with resources because the parents don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. Um, Coming from a aspect of being a parent when your brother was eight I had no idea where to go so I just took him to the ER and they really started helping me figure out what I was actually looking for and so we actually take on the the role of helping families get connected with the resources in the community because there are a lot of them Um, obviously there's not enough mental health facilities to help Um, I think that that would be best if there were places that people could go to get help because that's more intensive and it, it, it can be more, even if it's just a week long, let's readjust, get meds going, get therapy going really well. Even just that will break the cycle faster than what's happening now in the community. Do you see a lot of kids that have like specific phobias? Oh yeah, I've, I've seen everything out there. In fact, this isn't my first time working in this environment. Um, before you were born, I worked with a nonprofit called New Avenues for Youth. They're still around and they're thriving. And they specifically focus on homeless youth, kids anywhere from age 10 and up that are displaced from their home or from a foster situation, whether it be via abuse or drugs. 
you know, it's, it's sad what's out in the community and it's sad what's happening, especially in Portland right now. But I know that in the late nineties, we really focused on the young kids on the streets and really set up a lot of services for them. So, but unfortunately it looks like those kids have grown up and there's still such a big problem with mental health. So it's going to be something we always need to focus on and work on. Um, and I think in the healthcare setting, especially in pediatrics, that's where we need to start. It needs to keep starting younger and younger, having the conversations with the families, helping them get through their struggles and, and helping them identify what their children's struggles might be. Some parents don't even know what to look for. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the last things I want to talk about is what I talk about my, Mex- my first Mexico trip back to Mexico since I had a metaphobia. Mm-hmm. And how I was like so scared to go. I didn't think I could do it. You know, I was debating if I wanted to go for a long time. And I went. Mm-hmm. How do you think I did? Oh, I think you did great. I was impressed. I mean, you had some anxieties, but it was good that Nick was with you. I think that he stabilizes you and calms you down. Um, of course, he's got some anxieties of his own, but that's okay. <laughs> you guys can play off each other. But yeah, I think you did really well. I think you, you ate appropriately. Um, you even tried some things outside of your comfort zone, a few bites of pasta here and there from a restaurant and, you know, some other things, which I think has opened the door for you to continue to do that. And I think that, yeah, I heard that you told on me about throwing up things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you handled that very well. And again, you recovered very well. I think it was a combination of margaritas and sun, but whatever. Uh, anyway, so I think that you you handled that well in the moment and you didn't let it shut you completely down. Like, I think you thought it would, um, if something happened, I think you thought you would shut completely down, but you were able to recuperate and go out by the pool and still have a good time. And I, I think you did great. Yeah, I think thanks to my Lexapro <laughs> helped a lot. Yeah. But, and that's the one thing I want to encourage anybody out there I know it's scary to take meds and you may think it's going to make you throw up, but you've got to, again, just stop the cycle of anxiety. And to do that, sometimes you need help. It may not need to be forever, but if somebody's offering you help in the way of a medication, just take it because you know you're not in your right mind if you're saying no to something that's going to help you because you want to be helped. Yeah. You know, if you're too scared to take the medicine, I think that just shows even more that you need it. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of when I, you know, I had the medication for like two years or no, like a year before I even decided to take it. And then I realized I was like, I'm so scared to take this. And that's exactly why I need to be taking it. So I started with literally a quarter of the pill, (laughs) knowing it wasn't going to do anything for me. But I started with it and I just gradually went up. And I think it really has changed my life honestly and I don't plan on stopping taking it ever in my life (laughs) which you know I've been on antidepressants since I was probably 18. I think there's still just like a stigma about antidepressants and mental health in general too. I think there is but I think that we're getting better at it yeah at least where I work we're trying to yeah I think also on social media, people are talking more about, you know, their mental health issues. Because social media is a big thing. And I think there are people on there are talking more about it, which, you know. Well, I think social media also can cause a lot of anxieties. But but I think that if you can find a place that balances, you know, mental health awareness and anxieties, it's a start. There's hope. 
All right, so we have one last question. Uh-oh, it's a surprise question. What would you tell other parents of, I would say, a younger child, you know? And you're, you're seeing that, you know, they're scared of throwing up and they're scared to go to school and, you know, scared to go on car rides and getting scared to do things because they're scared that they're going to throw up. What would you tell those parents that are like, what do I, what do I even do? Where do I even start? What is going on with my child? <laughs> um, I think what I've learned over my time with my children and also working in the pediatric world that I do I think telling your child it's okay to be afraid, making them feel safe, making them feel there's a safe space for them to be fearful in, letting them know that I'll support them, but there's still going to be things that are scary. I think I've made a lot of mistakes in trying to fix everything that I didn't allow you to know and accept that, okay, some things are scary and gain the opportunity to go through that and get through that on your own and build that confidence. Um, so you know, I spend a lot of my time at work reassuring children that, yeah, you're you're going to get vaccines and yeah, it's going to hurt for a minute and then you're going to get better and you're going to get through it and you're going to be so proud of yourself. And I think that that's what we need to continue to focus on instead of focusing on the symptom or the outcome, focus on the reassurance that you're building self-confidence in your child by letting them go through the struggle and being there to support them through it but not denying them the opportunity to gain a knowledge from it. So I think that would be my biggest takeaway from what I've learned and what I've seen. Something that I would tell parents is, and, the, and I'm not saying this because you didn't do it or whatever. Okay. I'm just saying that whatever, don't, I guess this kind of goes with what you're feeling, but don't minimize your child's feelings. Even if they may seem stupid to you, like, it could be the end of their world, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's important to, even though you don't understand it, try to, un try to understand where they're coming from and, you know, just be mindful of that. And honestly do research. I feel like research like is like the biggest thing and it's hard with the metaphobia because there's not a ton of research out there, but yeah. And try to do research about therapy and, I, yeah. think, I think starting kids in therapy young is good, except for people like me where they hid under the table, didn't talk, <laughs> but. Just don't give up. Yeah. That's one thing that will never help. And don't minimize your child's feelings, because I feel like that in the end will just make things worse. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I think those are all the questions I had for my mom. Yeah, I hope, I hope this helped you guys, and I think... Brooke and I making these podcasts, I think we, or these episodes specifically with our moms, we were wanting this to reach the audience of parents or friends or family or somebody helping somebody else that has a metaphobia. And I just hope this helped them try to understand of what a metaphobia is, how you can help, and what to do. So, and we're still learning that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Thanks for coming. We will... Or, uh, Brooke and I will be back next episode, probably just the two of us, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.